0: Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Upnext in Commerce.
1: Our model is very different. Our model is we're gonna do fewer, much better pieces. And a customer will wait for our collection to come because they know it's gonna be superior quality and it's gonna be a piece that they will buy and keep for years.
2: If you really stop to think about your clothing and the price you pay for it, you might find that you're left with a few questions. For example, how can a t-shirt cost less than your morning cup of coffee? Surely the materials and labor involved in designing, making, and shipping a t-shirt are more costly than a few coffee beans and some milk. That low cost t-shirt is a result of the fast fashion business model, which has swept through the fashion industry. The result is that we may have more access to cheap clothes, but the quality is poor and the environmental and humanitarian costs could potentially be catastrophic. Zana Nonik is the founder and CEO of Reclaim, a slow fashion e-commerce brand, and she is on a mission to change the way people buy clothes. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Zana explains how she started Reclaim after becoming fed up with the business casual, fast fashion norms of Silicon Valley. Plus, she dives into what you have to learn from your customers during the initial launch of your business and why she believes that an omnichannel approach is the best way to find success in the future. Enjoy this episode.
0: next in commerce is brought to you by salesforce commerce cloud respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing sales and service deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel together we're ready for what's next in commerce learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce Hey everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles. Today we have Zana Nanak on the show, the CEO and founder of Reclaim. Zana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd love to dive right in and hear a little bit of the backstory on you and what brought you to starting Reclaim.
1: My story is not like the typical story of, she liked fashion and therefore she's super creative and wanted to do fashion. Like I am originally Croatian, and i moved to italy because croatia was in the middle of a civil war so i grew up in italy as a refugee my parents i remember they were trying to get a job and they couldn't get any job because they didn't speak fluent italian and somehow it was like the early 90s and fashion was the thing to do in italy so somehow they started working in the fashion industry very very small and they were lucky enough to like have a pretty successful run with it But to me, growing up, fashion was this amazing tool for empowerment. It was something that you could wear and forget a little bit of your identity. Like I had this very heavy label I was carrying with me of like a refugee, a foreigner, an immigrant. And as a child, sometimes it was pretty heavy. But when you had the right outfit and you look really nice, people just assume different things and admired you and were inspired by you. So fashion became a little bit my armor and then going into my adult life, it really became a tool I would leverage and use to present myself in a certain way. So like giving you an example. When I was at Uber, I was one of the youngest people there and I was already managing, like having the appropriate dress code that made me look a little bit older than my age was essential for my confidence and very much today as well. So. Reclaim really is this testament to how do I help women connect to themselves more and just open up opportunities so they don't have to worry about their outfit, but worry about much bigger and much more important things in their life. So Reclaim is a fashion brand we started eight months ago, and we focus on a very limited collection of staples, wardrobe staples that every woman needs. But what we try to do is combine Italian craftsmanship and artisans. I'm Italian, so and my family is in like Italian manufacturing. So I literally grew up in made in Italy fashion. So we try to combine that aspect of fashion with like the beautiful aesthetic and the beautiful detail with a uh, love for practicality and function. So I currently live in San Francisco, very Silicon Valley, and everybody's like super efficient, super go-getter. So we try to incorporate those two ethos in the clothes. And we have a very limited collection of things that are practical, functional, but also extremely beautiful.
0: Cool. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great story and a good reason to start Reclaim. So yeah, I love hearing that. I was reading a little bit about your story of how you were in pencil skirts and heels. And then you came to Silicon Valley and everyone was wearing hoodies and jeans. And you're like, "Eh, I want something a little better.
1: Yeah, that was a bit of a shocker (laughs) because I'm grew up in Italy where fashion is like part of your identity such a country that has a sensibility for beauty and art and culture and fashion is a a form of art so so i was coming from a very corporate world where pencil skirt, high heels like very formal wear was the day-to-day and then my first job at silicon valley was working for google and i remember showing up there and wearing and everybody was wearing like Jeans and sneakers and t shirts, (laughs) and I like adapted to that lifestyle and the work, like work outfit. But I also felt super underdressed. I'm like, ah, last time I wore this outfit, I was like 15 and in high school. (laughs) Like, is there anything a little bit more elevated so I feel like an adult and like a woman, like with a career, but still appropriate for business casual? And this is a little bit where Reclaim came from was. Like, how can we define a business casual aesthetic that is elevated, but still very approachable and affordable?
0: Yeah, I love that. It's funny. I also worked at Google. And if you would any bit get what would be considered maybe dressed up, they'd be like, oh, where are you going today? Do you have like a date afterwards? And you're like, no, I just wanted to wear a dress today. I just wanted to wear something cute. A hundred percent. It would be like, oh, are you interviewing for a different job? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would get that too. So... You're working at Google. What what did your career look like before Reclaim at Google or some of the other corporations? Like, were you in e-commerce, or was that a big shift for you? So it was a little bit of a shift. So I mentioned
1: before, my family's in fashion, so they have boutiques on the Italian coast, but very old school. So they barely have a website, and they do a lot of manufacturing. And older clientele has been the same for thirty years. So I grew up in commerce, but not e-commerce. So, so a different generation. Um, when I graduated college, I didn't think about fashion as a career option, to be honest. I was like, I want to do something that is like different. And so everybody I, know, I knew was in fashion. So I was like, I want to do something completely different and break the path with what my family is doing. So I ended up in consulting. So I ended up in management consulting and I did work for some fashion clients, but mostly I did like a lot of projects of like hardcore heavy industry. Mm -hmm. And after that, I worked at Uber. So I was managing Uber Eats in Italy, which is different than fashion, but it's related to commerce and how to like get conversion and how to get people to purchase your products. So some of the themes were similar. The Google role uh, was a mix of the two. So it's a little bit of strategy and a little bit of execution and was focused on growing the smart home business. So I would say that the career path I took was not a fashion career path. And then this shift happened in business school. When I went to business school, I realized actually I do want to embrace my roots and there is a lot I know and I can offer. And I spotted this niche in the market and this gap that was really needed like, honestly, it was my pain point. I was like, I really don't know where to shop and I want to wear beautiful clothes, but I also don't ever want to go dry clean them. So mm-hmm. that was like the perfect solution.
0: Yeah, that's super important. I remember one time I had a dress that said dry clean only. I'm like, I'm going to throw that dress away. I'm not going to do that. I don't do dry cleaning. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I like, I also have like a lot of like, beautiful cashmere sweaters. And I wear them once per season because they end up in my pile of stuff I need to bring to dry cleaning. And it takes me like months to go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So did you, um, when you were shifting into creating Reclaim, did you tap into your family to kind of say, hey, hey, here's what I'm doing and start brainstorming with them since they, like you said, are kind of the experts, but not in e-commerce, but maybe in the industry when it comes to high-end retail? A hundred percent. They were
1: my first consultants, advisors, <laughs> investors. So they like they heard it all. So they were like my my family business was a little bit like the sounding board for Reclaim. And I spent a lot of time with like the people in my family business and my family contacts, like our pattern maker, for example, that we use in Reclaim. She's a fam- like a person that I met through my family. She's based in Florence. She's super, super talented. And I designed with her most of the clothes that you see in the Reclaim collection, because I would bring in the creative perspective and the vision, but then like the nitty gritty manufacturing specs, like somebody who's an expert has to do them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the contacts come from uh, like my family background.
0: Oh, that network. That seems a great way to start a company when you have different connections that you can tap into like that and different lessons that you can bring with you. That's awesome. So what did the Early days of reclaim look like like. Tell me a little bit about starting it up and building the website presence and how you were thinking about attracting your first few customers.
1: Yeah, so the early days we launched last summer, so that was our first collection launch, and I'd say the early day was a little bit like still discovery, and I want to say that that lasted for the first few months, uh, like like from launch till like beginning of January, it was like a discovery moment. because yeah, you like come in and you've done a lot. Like at least I, when I launched the website, I talked with more than 2000 women at that Mm -hmm. point. And I thought I know it all, like I've talked to them, I have understood what they want. Like I have a crystal clear picture of what is needed. But then when you have a website is when you start learning for real. Because one thing is like the people that you have face-to-face, what are they telling you? And another thing is like, oh, how are people interacting on my website? What Mm -hmm. products are they looking at? What are they purchasing? Which ones are like asking questions? Which products are getting returned? So I would say like the real learning starts when you are putting something in front of people's faces and you're asking them, okay, put your credit card information and buy. That's when you're learning like, do you have product market fit? Or is there something you need to change? So the early days were very, very busy, a lot of documentation and a lot of learning. Like we really cared about nailing it. So our first 300 to 400 customers, I would personally give them a call and just ask them how come you purchased, what convinced you, what did you like? And just spend a lot of time like learning and writing all that knowledge down. And taking that feedback again, like at the end of the day, would we'll be like, okay, what did we learn today? And just adapting it and improving what you're doing. So I wouldn't say that commerce is like, you have an idea, you put it out there and build it and they'll come. It doesn't yeah. really work like that. It's literally like, take a lot of pride into changing things every day and iterating as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I love that. So you had a good point of A lot of people sometimes think, build it and they'll come. But oftentimes that's not the case, even if you have an Epic product or website or whatever it may be. How did you find your first couple of customers? How did they find your website? How did you get in front of people? Did you do some marketing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Marketing is a great way to attract people. So our first customers came from the Stanford network. I went to Stanford Business School. So the first purchaser were people within my network. So people that... Like graduated for Stanford, Stanford alumni, or people that were affiliated with the university, because we marketed in the university network. And then following that, we had a lot of word word of mouth. So people who were wearing our products would tell like would tell their friends. So we had a lot of referral. Like our first batch of people that started using the product were referral. Like learned about us through referral, and then paid marketing. So we. We did paid marketing on Instagram and Facebook, um, and that is like a channel that you use to like raise awareness about your brand and your product. So we had like our second wave was uh, through uh, paid marketing. Very
0: cool. And how often are you all launching products or new lines? So we
1: are a slow fashion company. So a normal like let's say Zara, Zara would launch twenty collections a year, and um, something that is not a fast like fast fashion, but it's still like a high fashion. They would launch 14 collections a year, which is a huge number. Mm -hmm. Like we're a slow fashion company. So what we do, we launch very, very few products. But we spend an enormous amount of time making sure that those are those products are amazing and they're done with the best material and the construction and the fit are very well done. So in total so far, we have launched. One collection last summer, and then we're coming up with our second one this coming August, and it's like a fall and winter collection. And we're having just four products, four basic products, but they're done so much better than what's out in the market.
0: Oh, very cool! So, when you say four basic products, am I thinking like a t-shirt, a black dress, like that that kind of product? So, we're gonna have a um, white button-down. And
1: the special thing about this white button down is that the front layer is actually made out of two different layers of fabric. So you can 100% be sure that your white button down is not going to be see-through, which is like a common problem every woman faces. (laughs) And the material is a tensile material, which is only produced in Germany, is highly sustainable, and it's one of the most ethically conscious materials. Another thing we're launching is a two-piece A jumpsuit and it's also made in pencil. So like super nice fabric and we made it two-piece because I don't know if that happens to you But it always happens to me when you're wearing a jumpsuit and you're feeling amazing And then you go to the bathroom and you have this humbling moment where you're completely naked In your office bathroom. (laughs) So we're like, no, it has to be practical. So we made it look like it's only one piece But it's actually two pieces.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I think every woman who's either tried on a jumpsuit or yeah, worn one, you're like, oh, this is kind of (laughs) awkward. Yeah, you look great. And
1: then like the first moment where you actually have to live your life, you're like, oh, this is going to be difficult. (laughs) Yep. yep. Yeah. And then the third product we're launching are, those were our best sellers in our first collection. So we made some tweaks to them. But uh, it's a pair of pants that they're made out of a super stretchy fabric. But basically, you're wearing like a pair of black pants that look very nice and professional. But they're absurdly comfortable because the fabric is a four-way stretch. So you're feeling like you're wearing yoga pants, but you look like you're wearing a really nice pair of like black jeans. That's good. I need that. Yeah. Like our customers love them. We got the most responses on those because they're such a good cheat. Like you're super comfortable, but not inappropriate. Yeah. And then the fourth product we're producing is going to be a camel coat. And this one, the fabric is amazing. It's like 30% cashmere and the rest is merino wool. And it's like super nice and soft. You literally want to sleep with the fabric. Just the fabric for us is like $250 worth of fabric. So it's like super expensive. But going direct to consumer, we will be able to price this product at a 350. So it's like. One of the most
0: affordable, best quality materials that you will be able to find. Oh, that's great! So, how are you conveying this quality and value to consumers or new customers when they're coming on your website? Like, it's hard if you can't, you know, like feel the fabric or try something on or know the, you know, the backstory behind it that it's coming from Germany or Italy. How are you conveying that message on your website?
1: Yeah, that is that's a great question, and honestly, that is one of the hardest things to do because. In a store, it's very easy. Somebody walks in, you touch it, you try it on, you talk with a, like a store associate, um, and you understand the message. In e-commerce, you have roughly 10 seconds to make an impression. That's like how, how much time people spend on one page before they decide, hmm, will I shop here or will I just bounce and go somewhere else? I'd say here is one of the areas where we did the most learning. So initially, we would have a lot of marketing language to be honest Mm -hmm. and like say like the highlight or or like have some bullet points and now like our learning is actually no like the women are coming on our website they really want to learn so we do exactly how i described them to you we have lengthy copy we go into the details we give people the story you don't have to read it but if you're interested there are like pages into like story of the material, what is the German fabric that is making this material. So we provide all of that information out there. And then we do big visuals, so like visuals and images is what converts the best and what people are resonating the most. So we combine the text and the rich information with images, beautiful lifestyle images that people can like see a zoomed in image of the fabric and reviews like we have also a lot of product reviews. Where every single customer that purchased with us, we reach back and ask them if they want to review the product, if they loved it. And oftentimes they do, which is great. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, How are you encouraging those reviews when a customer buys? <laughs> we have an entire review post-purchase like, encouragement system. Mm-hmm. But like,
1: the first attempt is always just to ask. And usually, like, we have an email where I just introduce myself and tell them the story of our brand and how valuable their reviews are. And that's where most of the people do the reviews. And then our second or third interaction is we provide them with like a discount to any to future purchase in exchange for a review.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's cool. Is there any split testing you do there that you've seen work better? I know we were speaking, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, um, to the founder of House and she was talking about how she puts an image of her and her husband on mm-hmm. a pamphlet every time they send a box or a thank you or something like that, and that helped convert. Have you seen any uh, best practices around that?
1: Yeah, so like the reason why we use my personal email for the reviews and I introduce myself is because people do like the personal touch. So I'm sure that the founder of How is like putting an image of her and her husband. Like people form a connection. Like people have like my customers have the feeling that they know me and they they're purchasing from an actual person. And that is a real bond. Like I had one customer who bought a pair of pants from us and then she wore those pants on her family photo shoot with her newborn baby. And she emailed me afterwards and she was like, oh, I wanted you to have the photos of our family photo shoot because I wore your pants and I look so great and the photos are beautiful. And I was just shocked. I was like, this That's is sweet. so <laughs> nice, this is <laughs> yeah. amazing. I don't think I've ever emailed a brand to share like, Oh, I wore this for an important moment of my no. life. <laughs> so I felt so attached. I remember that like that made my day. I'm like, like the fact that something that I came up with and I designed and produced and like spent time thinking upon, on like, it's something that made like her photo shoot more special and she felt prettier and more confident, like was very meaningful to me.
0: Yeah, that that's really cool. That is a good customer to have. Hopefully you can keep yeah, her for the long the, term. <laughs> yeah, like
1: you have the craziest customer. We had one customer who purchased our perfect pants. So the pants that like, are super comfy, but they look uh, professional. She purchased one pair. She loved them so much that she purchased, purchased 12 of like wow. the same size, the same. And I, I remember seeing this order and I was like, there must be a mistake. <laughs> So we emailed her because we thought there was a mistake or a glitch in the system. And she was like, no, I really love your pants. I want to have one for every day of the week. And I always want to have one ready because those are the pants I wear the most. So I just purchased 12. And I was just like, I love you. You're amazing. Yeah.
0: Like, where do I find more customers like you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. If you know, you know, that's, that's great. Are you trying to also cross sell to a customer? I'm guessing when someone comes on your website and there's not a huge product catalog, it's probably beneficial to be say hey you, you're looking at this sweater like you should try this pair of pants with it too like how are you thinking about showing other products and are you personalizing at all
1: Yeah so the collection that we're launching is only four pieces and mm-hmm. you're meant to have them all and they work as a capsule so all the colors are in the same color palette and they're all made to be mixed and matched So the idea is that you do purchase the entire catalogum And we're very mindful. So the collection that we're coming up now is very much in line with the one we had before, just a different like different cuts and different styles. But all the ones we're going to do in the future, we're going to keep the same color palette and consistent materials so that people that decide to be reclaimed customers will have a trusted brand where they can have like the entire wardrobe being like a reclaimed wardrobe and it will always work for them because we're not going to have crazy fashion forward pieces that you buy once, and they don't go with anything that you own. So all the colors that we pick are very much neutral, cream, beige, black and white. So it's a palette made to be mixed and match and to do cross selling.
0: Got it. And do you see people normally do buy multiple products at once? Or is there a little bit of convincing afterwards? If someone's like, Oh, I'm just gonna buy you know, the button up and pants? Are you then say, Hey, you forgot the sweater, you forgot the jumpsuit? (laughs) On average, people buy two products, so that's our
1: like website average. But oftentimes, people who liked, who bought and liked the products, come back to the website and either buy more or just like fill their cart to like an uh, other pro- like try new products. So um, both things are true. So average first order is at least two items, and then we have a lot of returning customers.
0: Cool. And is there analytics that you're checking out to either see? You know, did they add something to their cart and removed it? Or were they hovering over something for a long time? Or is there any metrics that you look at behind the scenes to target those customers? Yeah, no, 100%. So we have an abandoned cart um, flow. We call
1: them flow. So when we see somebody put something in their cart, and then they ended up not checking out, basically an email follows them and an ad follows them for a few days, uh, just to remind them that they still have this product in their cart. And if they want to purchase it, Mm -hmm. then... People who do purchase get an introduction to every product of the uh, of the collection. So they will receive emails to learn about the different products. So if somebody, for example, bought the camel coat and then the following week, get an email about the pants, they can go back and purchase the pants. But um, there are some holy grail metrics that we look at as a startup and for us, like, Returning customer is super important, mm-hmm. even more than customer acquisition, even more than like value of the basket size. Like returning customer is what we really care about because that's the metric that shows how do people like you and how do people trust you and how well do they like your product. How do you
0: reengage a customer if you, you know, have? I think you mentioned slow fashion. It's kind of the industry that you're in. How do you re-engage someone when you might not have another product launch for six months or a year?
1: Well, you don't. That is a little bit the trade-off. So Mm -hmm. you can either have customers who are going to buy lots of pieces with you and you're going to have a high lifetime value of that customer, but they might not like you that much. They might consider you as, oh, I bought it because it was cheap and it was on sale and I keep it in my wardrobe. But then the first Marie Kondo moment you have, and you go through your wardrobe, that is the first item that doesn't give you joy. Our model is very different. Our model is we're going to do fewer, much better pieces, and a customer will wait for our collection to come because they know it's going to be superior quality and it's going to be a piece that they will buy and keep for years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Is there any education that you give your customers around, you know, why they should move away from the idea of the fast fashion industry, or how to think about that? Any education behind the scenes that you're also doing?
1: We are vocal about it in our Instagram, but we're also considering starting a blog just to educate about what is this little fashion movement. But I would say that in 2020, a lot of the people that we interact with are extremely conscious consumers. So especially the younger generation, like they know if a product is sustainable, they care if a product has an impact on the environment. So I would say that, I mean, it's the age of information. If somebody wants to know how ethical a company is mm-hmm. and how much they honor their commitment, it's very easy to learn that. So, like, I don't know. It's like I remember 15 years ago when fashion companies were like, oh, everybody's telling us we're not green. And they all started doing marketing campaigns in the middle of the forest
0: <laughs> and get away with that. That was like yep. it literally it's a practice called greenwashing. I had never heard about that, but I do remember seeing images of people in new outfits and whatnot, like marketing them while they were sitting on a tree branch or <laughs> standing in a field. yeah, literally
1: that is called green washes, where washing where you basically like show some images that could make your customers think that you're greener or more ethical than you actually are and I despise that. Like I don't wanna be that kind of company ever. So for us it's like very important just to like the customer that we have care and and we do too. So I'm okay if somebody who's not our ideal customer doesn't want to shop with us. I'm okay with that. Like if our price point is too high or if being sustainable is too expensive, like I'm happy to have a smaller market but it's a, be a like company that is worth Having in this world than compromising on my morals and um, having like great profitability.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it seems like your consumers would be interested in kind of the community aspect of. I mean, you have a great personal story. Uh, you have a good story behind your company, a fun process. Probably, if they wanted to see behind the scenes of like who's making what and how you're thinking about your designs and coming up with ideas and balancing all that out, how do you think about building a community around your brand
1: yeah so our social media is our most powerful channel to share so we always post stories of behind the scenes and what's happening and where we're like what are we going through so that is like the channel where we got like where the community is starting to mobilize but in general like when we do a lot of like in-person events we had, I mean, not now because COVID has yes. <laughs> changed that. But before COVID, we would do like brunch and browse, uh, shop and sip. But So we would do like events like this where like, and we target like professional women in San Francisco because this is where we're based. So we were very active on Facebook groups for like professional women. So we would have events where like women can just come together and talk about their challenges and how they're advance in their career and simultaneously try on new great clothes. So that is something that we help foster a lot.
0: Oh, that's fun. I want to do one of the brunch and (laughs) browses. That sounds awesome. So were you doing pop-up shops or how were people, were they browsing online while in person or how do you think about the in-person experience and retail locations?
1: Yeah. So we have a partnership with a company, like we have multiple partnerships with companies that only have stores. So we were in a restore in um, downtown San Francisco. So they had our products on for six months. Like now they're closed, but they're reopening soon. So, and then we are opening a location in LA and one in New York with Beata. So we have partnerships with companies that basically bring URL brands and products to In Real Life events.
0: Oh, that's cool. How do you think about, creating those partnerships and finding the right person in the right store? I mean, how would if someone was brand new, go about finding a partnership like that?
1: Well, you have to make sure that that is the right path you want to go on. So, And I say that because retail distribution at this moment is not something that we could afford. Because we are a direct-to-consumer brand, we do use premium materials, and we make sure that our materials are done in an ethical and sustainable way, so our product cost is pretty high, and we still keep prices as affordable as we put, like as we can, therefore we don't have enough margin to pay a store or a retailer and have like a big distribution. Therefore, the partnerships that we use, we see them more as an opportunity to have a marketing present in a presence in l a or New York, so if somebody wants to touch our products and learn more about them, they can actually go and like have a physical retail presence. But it's more um an exercise and a discover like a way to discover a product rather than a sales channel for us. Like our direct to consumer website is our number one channel for sure. And it's the place that we use because that is the only way we can pass on as much price saving to the customer as we can.
0: Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. How have you seen conversions when it comes to people Seeing something in person and then buying it online—like, were you tracking that? And have have you seen success in that model?
1: What we notice is that people who discover us in person are very loyal. So, the people who have had the chance to try on pieces and have had the chance to touch all the materials—they're the ones who end up buying. Most of the products have the highest basket size, and they're the ones coming back just because they had the opportunity to discover everything and literally touch it with their own hands rather than seeing it on a website. So there is definitely a benefit to that. But as I said, like we are thinking about a model where you can have a store where you like discover the product and touch and feel it, but the growth will still come from the e commerce rather than opening stores across America. That's not something that we're thinking about at all.
0: Got it. So maybe having like guide shops style where people can go in and look at it and then still go online and order to keep your margins down and um, where you guys have them now or close to it, I guess, not where they're at. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So to shift into more general e-commerce questions, what kind of trends are you most excited about over the next year or two around e-commerce? Because a lot of things are shaking up right now. So I'm sure there's a lot on your mind.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. E-commerce has been exploding Like like... Yes. So COVID definitely helped e-commerce grow, but um, we're seeing multiple trends. One trend was definitely like apparel did suffer a little bit. So when COVID started in March, uh, we saw um, we saw an impact on our sales because like everybody was scared most people are working from home and our pieces are investment pieces to make you look great when you go to work or when you're like out and about, it's not at leisure. And suddenly the world is shopping for pajamas. So we saw there was an impact to our sales, but like the trend is quickly changing. Like already in April, we saw a bump in sales and like we think it's like stimulus check, <laughs> giving an impetus to Let's yep. buy nice, nice, beautiful clothes. Like we're seeing like different trends um, in terms of like things I'm excited about. I'm very excited about sustainability. I'm very excited about slow fashion, like the fact that consumers really care and want to purchase like companies that are ethical. I'm also excited that customers are seeing that fast fashion and buying on sale and buying seasonal pieces is not something that they want to keep on doing. Like it's something that it's okay for your early twenties. When you're broke and you wanna be on trend, but the moment you are like in your 30s or 40s, you wanna have a more of a, they call it like a French lady aesthetic. Few pieces, very well done, like super high quality, but um, that always makes you look very chic rather than a bunch of things that do not make sense together.
0: Yeah, there's this one company that always targets me on Instagram and they drop new products, I think it's every week. And it got to a point where it's like, is this even quality? How can you drop new product lines every single week? And I started looking into it and you're like, oh, okay, the reviews are pretty bad. Oh, it's not, you know, like you said, there's no good ethical practices that are happening behind the scenes, but they're just very good at marketing.
1: Yeah. But I mean, ask yourself, like if you see a t-shirt that is being priced 6 $7, some um, Think about it. Like if the cost of a Starbucks coffee is like 4 or $5 and making a coffee, it's much easier than making a t-shirt that requires fabric, people sewing it, machines, transportation. Like it just makes you think like, okay, somewhere in the supply chain, they must be taking some shortcuts.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. It definitely is a good time too around apparel for a lot of people to rethink, like you said, what they're wearing, what's important. Because right now everyone's been in workout clothes and now I'm even myself, it's like, okay, what do I really wanna invest in going forward? Because up until now, I've only had to worry about my top half and just have a nice looking shirt Mm -hmm. on maybe. But once it starts getting back into like going, you know, back to work and going out into the world, I do think there will be a big shift in the consumer's mind around, what do I actually wanna wear going forward? And not just like you said, for a season or a few weeks and then be done with it and clog up your closet space.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And that's like definitely a trend that we want to participate in, where if you already have a limited disposable income, because uncertainty, like the world is an uncertain place right now, rather than spending it on things that are not going to last or that are questionable, like spend a little bit more on fewer things, which ends up being the same amount of money at the end of the day but you're 100% happier with the premium pieces.
0: All right. So let's move on to the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. It's where I send a question your way and you have one minute or less to answer. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. What's up next on your reading list? The Wheel of Time. It's a fantasy book. Huh? Hmm. I haven't heard of it. I'll have to check it out. What's up next on your Netflix or Hulu queue? Oh my God, don't judge me for this. But I think it's going to be the ball
1: type or uh, Selling Sunset. Don't hate me for this. <laughs> oh my gosh. I watched everything that was watchable on Netflix. So now I'm like starting the trash watching.
0: <laughs> I, I actually can't judge you. It's funny because I was just thinking I was just watching Selling Sunset last night and I'm like, this is so embarrassing, but I'm going to keep watching it because it's pretty funny <laughs> and I ran out of things to watch. So no yeah. judgment coming from my side. What's up <laughs> next on your travel destinations when you're able to travel again?
1: I want to go to Italy. I yeah. know
0: it's cheating, <laughs> But
1: because I'm international in America, like the recent visa immigration policies have been really difficult. So so I haven't seen my family in a year now. And the moment this is all over, I'm going to Italy. I'm going to vacation for a month and I'm going to make
0: all my friends jealous on Instagram. I don't care, but (laughs) I deserve it. I think I'm just going to come with you. You don't even have to worry about me. I'll just be behind the scenes. Be like, hey, mom and dad, where's my pasta? We can go to Italy (laughs) and sell the watch selling sand. I think we have a plan. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. It'll be a perfect girls trip. All right. What's up next on your shopping list? Cool.
1: I actually want to buy a nice desk. So I'm eyeing this beautiful wood desk on all modern. So I Mm -hmm. think that's going to be my
0: next purchase. Oh, that sounds great. If you were able to pick anyone to go to brunch with other than me, because i would be a blast, who would you pick? It can be a celebrity or whoever you want. I'll definitely go to brunch with Oprah. I have, a, oh, or AOC, one of the two. I have a
1: big girl crush in both of them. So I should decide which one. We can bring them
0: both. That'd be, that sounds fun. <laughs> All right. And the last harder one, what one thing do you think will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I think uh, um, different forms of creative.
1: So TikTok is exploding. So how to leverage different platforms like TikTok or like just different forms of creating than the usual that we have been accustomed to see.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. Great answer. All right. It's been super fun having you on here. Where can people find out more about you and Reclaim? Yeah, they can always shop on thisisreclaim.com and follow us on our Instagram at thisisreclaim. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was really fun and we'll have to have you back in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.